Well, good evening, LCM. Today's date is April 22nd, 2020. And tonight we will be continuing our series entitled Into the Darkness. See, it is our greatest hope that you were edified by sun's scent into the darkness. We could see, we could feel the effects of the spirit moving on you when we shared success defined in the light of eternity. We, we could feel it. Tonight, church, we will, we will be in our third installment, and it's going to be a good one. The title, nice message, is The Glory of Suffering. Come on now. Church, are you ready to go into the darkness and see the light of God's eternal word? Amen. Amen. Let's begin by turning to 1 Timothy chapter 4. All right, let us know when you're there. We're going to give everybody a minute to get there. All right, now together in the house of God, are you there? The Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. You see, church, from the beginning of creation, darkness covered the planet. And in many ways, that darkness has only grown. Apostasy. Deceiving spirits, things taught by demons, is a dark subject. And tragically, most don't even realize it when they are in that kind of darkness. Mm -mm. The darkness hasn't diminished. In fact, it's been proliferated. As one devilish song put it that Jennifer listened to in the 80s, (laughs) these are dirty deeds that are done cheap. They are. They are. While you may be tempted to grieve this situation. Tonight, we're going to focus on a different response. So everybody turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Verse 14 is where we will pick up. Y'all there? Do everything without complaining or arguing. So that you may become... Are you convicted yet? (laughs) We're, we're done. Go home. Altar call right Repent. now. Repent. Right now. And there's more. So that you may become blameless yeah. and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine. Say the word shine. Shine. In which you shine like stars in the universe. As you hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ, that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Saints, the truth is, is for centuries, this has been our situation. As the darkness demonstrates its dominion, the power and purity of the stars holding out the word of life also poignantly pierces the darkness as the true source of life. Think about the wording. The sacrifice and service coming from your faith. Sacrifice and service coming from your faith. 
because that's what stands out like a star in this dark world. And it offers the very same hope that the wise men saw all those years ago, and it draws men towards Jesus. For this reason, saints stand in the darkness and rejoice not only personally, but with all those who are doing the very same thing. The obvious issue that sons sent into the darkness face and that must be dealt with as you learn to define success in the light of eternity is how saints face suffering. Mm. Come on, that really is the the issue of our day. Nothing will get your simulcast to retract faster than a little bit of suffering. In fact, even though it's not illegal, most churches aren't meeting now. Just at the thought that there's the possibility, the strangest, remotest part per million, that somebody could get sick. Man, that says a lot for the healing power of God, doesn't it? Yeah, that's a little sacrifice, sacrificial uh, sarcasm uh, <laughs> in the face of suffering. We want the Word to instruct us. Do you want the Word to instruct you? Yes. Let's turn to Second Corinthians. We're going to read the 11th chapter. When you have discovered the 23rd verse, land on it and shout out suffering. suffering. Wow, you guys are getting better at this. Are you all doing all right tonight? It's a message on suffering. We must suffer, Pastor. (laughs) Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder. Been in prison more frequently. Been flogged more severely. And been exposed to death again and again. Five times. I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And not in the same way that some of you have been stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. There's a slide that we want to put on the screen for you. That was an awful lot to get through. Take this in for a second. These are Christian commendations. These are things that cause you to love Paul. Because is there any doubt that he was pure? (laughs) Is there any doubt that he loved the word of God more than anything else? No doubt. No doubt at all. Notice something, saints. Top left of this slide. Paul was not just in prison. Right? That's one thing. He was in prison more frequently than others. Paul's recidivism rate was rather high. A perpetual perpetrator. Yeah. In fact, he was a repeat offender. Not a pretty picture, is it? (laughs) While you're noticing the screen, let's notice also that Paul was not just flogged. He was flogged more severely than others. Look, when you see five times of 40 lashes minus one, we, we actually 
Your pastors, we had to take off our shoes and we started counting them. 195 lashes. He got beat three times with a rod and once with stones that they just picked him up and tried to kill him with. These are the Christian accommodations that you see before us. And I just want to remind you really quickly. This was not before he became a believer. (laughs) This was not in some distant past. This was because he was walking in a righteous, godly way. Paul was once sequestered on a carnival cruise ship. (laughs) No, no. And the the soft-serve yogurt machine went out. No, the man was shipwrecked. And he wasn't just shipwrecked. In the shipwreck, he was stranded in the open sea for a day and a night. Think through that for a minute. When a man has to qualify the kind of suffering that he has had to say, not just I was in prison for the gospel, but I was in prison more frequently than everybody else was. (laughs) I wasn't just beaten with the gospel. I was beaten more severely than all of you were. That, that's quite a pedigree, don't you think? It really is. In fact, you know, reading through verse 26, it sounds like the movie Lost in Space. Something like this. Danger, 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 Will Robertson. The difference is Paul wasn't lost in space. He was shining like a star. Come on, isn't that actually how we really viewed the Apostle Paul? Like a superstar. Somebody say superstar. Superstar. Paul's suffering was so severe, so sadistic, so savage, that you can actually see how purely he shined. This kind of suffering is, well, it's, it's obvious. And it's marked by prison, beatings, and martyrdom. But let's not obfuscate the obvious point. The suffering is meant to make you shine. The reason that you love him is because you know what he endured for the gospel. So what was that saying? Suffering is meant to make you shine. I'll make sure you guys are with us. So let's get to the less obvious and more prevalent examples so that we don't shine you on (laughs) with examples of superstars that you view as safely situated in someone else's situation. Because that is the issue when you read this pedigree. It feels so far off from you. It feels so elevated that you can admire it because there's no expectation of having anything like this in your life. See, saints, so many sermons on suffering really serve to uh, blow a little smoke up your seats because they extol the virtues of suffering by illustrating situations that you do not face and victories you will not have. See, we want to bring this sermon into your life in a very practical way tonight so that you can see how you are supposed to shine in your current situation. Amen? Amen. There's a lot of reasons that we're about to go to Mark 3. Okay, so you can start turning there. But just to get this down, we know you. You know us. I know that many of you are dreaming and longing of being granted the opportunity to be in prison for the gospel. Some of you are crazy enough that you'll make it happen even where the Lord hasn't made it happen. I know that. I know who you are. The problem with all of those things is they're still in your future. We want to talk to you about the things that are in your life today. Is that fair enough? Okay. Mark 3, we're going to begin in verse 20. 
Amen. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered. Yeah, the CDC hadn't got him. Yeah. That's what always happens. Then Jesus entered a house, and the Democratic governor fined him. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered. So he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said, who said? They said. He is out of his mind. Wow. Wow. Has your sanity ever been questioned by a family member? Oh, yeah. Let's, let's put it more clearly. Maybe not to your face, right? But certainly from the perceived safety of being behind your back or maybe even behind a keyboard. Come on now. See, James, Jude, Salome, and the other brothers and sisters set out with Mother Mary saying that Jesus had lost his mind, that he had lost his sanity. Many supposed that Jesus would come to bring solidarity in the family. But the 10th chapter of Matthew says something entirely different. It says that he came to bring the sword. His word would cause suffering through division. Of that which is spiritually dark and that which is spiritually shining in the light. That's what his ministry does. That's what his word does. It brings a separation. And any of you saints that are in here that have felt that, it is a kind of suffering. It hurts. Yeah. And this kind of suffering is something that the entertainment centers of our day really have no interest in enduring. And the result is they, they cannot shine. Mariah Carey didn't sing a song about it? Tyler Perry didn't come and juggle for us or something? Uh, I think Kanye just sang Chick-fil-A for him. That's about it. The best part of that, yeah. (laughs) However, it was prevalent in Jesus' service to the Father. And it is prevalent in here. Let's keep reading so that it is equally powerful in here as it was in the life of Christ. Let's look down at verse 31. Is there anybody in here that is excited, though, when your relatives say you're out of your mind? Anybody excited when you're told you're in a cult? Anybody excited when they grab their hireling pastor and come and sit with you to explain from about half of a verse why the law prophet's writings that you've immersed yourself in are not true? I I think if we're completely honest, that's not what you wake up for and ask. For each day. Watch what happens as we go through this though. Mark 3 and verse 31. Are you there with us? Come on church. This is pertinent to where we are. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside. They sent someone in to call him. Interesting. A crowd was sitting around him. And they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Jesus says, who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. Put that in perspective for you. You are the family member for a minute. And you show up and you can't even get in the house. Which is probably good because you're on a sinful mission anyway. Jesus is clearly told that you're outside. Looks out the door. 
and says, who are my mother, my brother, my sisters? And then turns to those, the scripture literally says that he turned to his disciples and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. How do you feel if you're on the outside of the house? You, you, all you should have to ask is how many of your relatives feel. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's all. And that sounds like such a bad thing. But when entering the darkness, a saint experiencing this kind of separation can feel like he is the one sitting outside the circle. But in the light of eternity, you are sitting in glory because you are with Jesus. And it is they who are standing outside of the house Christ is in. Isn't that a good position to be standing in? Let me share with you this. That this kind of suffering shines into the darkness, exposing it for what it really is. Meaning that it is a void. It's an expanse. A greasy and easy association based only on the water of the womb. Church, the biblical family is not based on the water of the womb, but rather it is based on the blood of the covenant, those who do the will of the Father. Our time, semantic drift has happened to the extent, our society has degraded to such an extent, there are no words that are safe anymore. I mean, when I was a young man and something was fierce, that meant something entirely different than it did to the skinny jeans wearing crowd we have running around right now. I want you to get something. That phrase, blood is thicker than water, that means to the whole world that your family is the closest thing. That is not where it originated from, and that is not what it meant for a couple thousand years of history. The blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb, is the original saying. Do you know why? Men looked into the very same word that we're looking into right now, and they said, wow, the uterus that I came from is not nearly as important as the blood of the covenant that we now share. The only thing that matters is God's word and God's will. That is what makes us family. As we continue to shine the light of God's word on this subject, let's go to Galatians 6, 9. You'll begin to see this pretty clearly, I think. Can we all agree that there is a kind of suffering, though, when you have to stand separately from people that you were born in the same house with? Yes. Yeah. I'm looking out and I'm seeing faces of people that I know are experiencing. It, it, it hurts. I want to encourage you. There is a purpose for it. Let's start in Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary. Good word. That's a good word. That's a good word right there. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap. Somebody say, we will. We will. We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. There is a reason for this separation. And there is a harvest that comes if you do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of... How did the Bible define family there? Those who believe. Just like in the previous verse, where it's those who hear the word of God and put it into practice. The scripture defines family as those who belong to the family of believers. Experiencing the suffering of separation 
serves to shine light into the darkness so that they can see repentance must occur. Come on. Let's look at this further in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. The family that extends from the Father derives its name, meaning its character, authority, reputation, and identification from Him. Come on, church. Let's continue to see how the light of God's Word shines upon this. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse 10. Hebrews chapter 2 in verse 10. If you don't mind, every person in the room get to this one, because it's not one that is talked about enough. See how nice I'm being tonight? I said, if you don't mind. The truth is, even if you do mind, we want you to get there. Hebrews 2 and verse 10 says this. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Mm. That the author of their salvation was made perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. Amen. Come on. Suffering separation from the water of the womb family perfects the saints by setting them apart for God's use. The family of God is really only made up of two groups. Those who are holy and those who are being made holy. Yeah. The suffering of separation shines the light of God's word onto that issue. Mm-hmm. See, if you are not holy or being made holy, then you're not in God's family. And for us to pretend that we are family would be to divorce yourself from the heavenly family. Everything about you must derive itself from a heavenly flow in God's word. And what happens is that sting that you feel that is suffering, it is kind of a wake-up call. Oh, you mean just because we shared a room for seven or eight years as children, we're not family? No, my family is derived from the heavens. But I'm a Christian too. I'm a a good person too. I, I also believe the Word. Yeah, you do not put the Word into practice. The good news is you can join the family. All you have to do is be obedient to God's word. Amen. You know what, church? In the darkness, this feels like sitting outside the circle. But in the light of eternity, you're actually sitting in glory. In fact, you're seated with Christ himself. Come on. Amen. Remember, this suffering served to bring James, Jude, and Mary into the family of believers. Yeah, two people. I, I don't know if you got that. Um, we could sing Ave Maria for you if you like. L- listen to it again. James, Jude, and Mary, at least, became part of the family of believers. See, what we're trying to tell you is that separation, the separation of suffering here from your own natural water of the womb kind of family. Because Jesus did what he did in Mark chapter 3, it allowed James... Jude and Mary to come into the family of believers. That is the goal. 
You stand where you stand so that they may have an opportunity to see the true light of eternity shine in their lives. And because of that clarity, everyone say clarity. 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 See, you think you're helping by, by reaching out to that family member. You think you're encouraging them. You think you're doing the right thing, but you are obfuscating. You are blurring the lines. You are causing it not to be clear where they actually stand. See, remember, this suffering served to bring James and Jude and Mary into the family of believers, even writing some books of the Bible. They saw the separation and they repented so that they could learn to shine just like they saw in what Christ was doing. We want to pick up the attitude that John's epistles have. Listen, we want you to have fellowship with us because our fellowship is with the Father. (laughs) And they have that opportunity. But if they don't see the void that has to be crossed, there is no way to come into the kingdom except through repentance. So just agreeing not to talk about certain subjects, the idea that we'll just let bygones be bygones, or, hey, look, we each had some, some issues going on. Let's just move forward. It will never work because you cannot close the distance between them and the Father that way. The suffering of separation that you feel, it has a purpose. In Jesus' life, what looks like an absolute diss to his relatives actually is a loving act of kindness because they get to see where he is and where they are. And when they felt that separation, you can go, oh, look, nobody comes to Christ like that. Number one, you can't do any better than Christ did. Number two, James does come into the faith. Jude does come into the faith. Mary does come into the faith. And the only reason we don't know about the others is they don't happen to be named later. But I bet they did. Look, James, Jude, Mary are seated with Christ. They are now sitting in glory. The suffering that you feel in separation, it seats you in glory. And it's their best shot at ever finding glory. Let's go back to Mark chapter 3. And we're going to pick up at verse 21. Say there when you're there. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said, he is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said... He is possessed by Beelzebub. Somebody say, when it rains, it pours. When it rains, it pours. pours. Why is it that on the same day that your family says you're out of mind, some religious puppet also shows up and says, no, he's not out of his mind. He's devil-possessed. Yeah. In fact, they go on to say, by the prince of demons, he is actually driving out demons. Come on now. See, the suffering of separation from the water of the womb family is often intensified by the supposed spiritual sons that have a form of godliness but actually have no power. Mm. They claim to have the same father, but attribute the work that you do in the father's name to the devil, false motives, or otherwise evil behavior. Church, listen closely. These sellouts often serve as spiritual advisors to the water of the womb family. Because they are of the family of disobedience. 
Paul described how we should view this situation and shine in it in his letter to the Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. When you've discovered the first verse, say separation. What happened? Some of you white people are scared to speak in church. Uh-huh. See, they, you're Filipino. I don't know that counts, but I'm still proud of you. Filipino's like a half Hispanic or a Hispanic preemie, right? Yeah. Ephesians 2.1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. See, those who are disobedient, they are unified in the darkness. They have the same spirit at work within them, and so they find unity easily. This reminds me so much of Pilate and Herod, who had never been friends... Until the devil moved them to participate in the execution of Jesus. And then they became fast friends. I know I have relatives that don't get along at all. Unless they unify in hating what we are doing. Wow. Let's pick up in verse 3. All of us lived among them at one time. Gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. And following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were, but we were by nature objects of wrath. See, Jude said that they would creep in among us and that they were like animals following mere natural instincts. Suffering through separation allows us to shine as they see us seated with Christ in that. Let's go on to verse 4. But because of his great love for us. Amen. There ought to be more amens in the room. If you're engaging with these scriptures as we're reading them, we're, we're not putting on a show for you. We're engaging this as we're reading it. But because of his great love for us, yeah. God, who is rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. Yeah. By the way, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Come on now. To be a brother of Jesus, you must be holy and being made holy. This means that you both hear the word of God and you put it into practice. Amen. Jesus said this would be like a sword separating water of the womb family from family that has been defined by the blood of the eternal covenant. This separation process is suffering for righteousness sake. It serves to shine a light on the darkness of those who belong to the family of disobedience. The, the beautiful thing is, it is actually their best chance of getting saved. Not your false compassion for them. Come on. Say that's a good word. That's a good word. I want to remind you of something. That in the darkness, this feels like you're sitting on the outside of a circle. But in the light of eternity, it reveals that you're actually sitting in glory and seated with Christ. Church, this is such an important topic for us. 
You could be in a lot of other churches and wonder why it was just here. Yeah, it's because you're finally actually trying to walk in the light of eternity. It's creating these issues. Obvious forms of suffering reveal glory. But let's not confuse the issue. If you are ostracized for Christ, then you are sitting in glory. See, this is true in water of the womb circles. It's true in social circles. It's true of work circles. It is even true if you are the one who withdraws from the circle because of a consciousness of Christ and a true family of God. We're trying to pick issues that you would not normally think of as suffering and show you what they're producing in you, what they're producing in eternity, and what they have the hope of producing for others. Because I promise you, looking at Paul's list of commendations and going, amen, we love him for that. And one day, like at the end of a John Wayne or maybe Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, I too will stand for Christ is really not the issue. The issue is where you are standing daily right now. And these are very real things that we know about from people in the room. And of course, I think we've lived as an example for you. We're going to be in Matthew 5, and we're going to pick up in the 10th verse. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice! Listen, if you didn't grow up in church, if you didn't know what word was coming next, would anybody hear this sentence and think this was the next word? Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Now fill in the blank. What word would you expect to come next? Never would you expect the word rejoice. Not the word rejoice, yeah. By the way, blessed, it can be translated a lot of ways. And one of the other pastors will tell you about some of them in a minute. But some translations say happy. I mean, rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Your heavenly family has always been treated this way by the family of disobedient. When we think of suffering, we tend to think of beatings, imprisonment, and martyrdom. But Jesus referred to insults and lies as persecution or actual suffering. Yeah, and let's go back to what Eric just said. See, what is more is that he's telling you to rejoice and be glad in it. See, this is where you've got to get away from the religious talk. Can you rejoice through insults, persecutions, people saying all kinds of evil against you? Or are we still defining how we feel about that? How we respond to that based in the darkness? Or have we come into the light of eternity of God's Word? See, this is where we are today. Can you rejoice in it? Not just when you're here. Can you really rejoice in it and be glad? While you're running through your Rolodex, And 75% of you have no idea what a Rolodex is, do you? 
Nor do they know who Jean-Claude Van Damme is, but that's okay. I've been absent from media for a little while. While you're running through your thoughts about the insults and the lies that have been leveled against you in the last month, we want to focus you in on the Apostle Peter and what he says about this issue. Turn to First Peter chapter 4. And we'll look at verse, starting with verse 13. That was a Joe Biden-like moment, really. It was. The thing. The thing. The thing. About the yeah. thing. Watch the radio. Listen to the TV, you know? <laughs> I'm hoping you're laughing at that one, actually. Verse 13. Here we go. But rejoice. Hallelujah! Let's do that again. But rejoice. That you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. In the darkness, it feels like insults and lies diminish you. But in the light of eternity, saints, they elevate you. They elevate you to being seated with Christ, and His glory is now resting on you. Come on, what a great thought that His glory can rest upon you. And not just that it can, but you know when it will. See, this calls for rejoicing. This calls for feelings of blessedness, which could be translated as knowing that you are well situated. Man, what a great thought. Knowing that you are well situated because people have begun to revile you and persecute you. Yeah. Well situated. You're under attack on every side. Yes, but you're in a target rich environment. It is great. It is great because you're being identified with Christ. It is great because you're fellowshipping in something that is him. Amen. Look at verse 15. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer, praise God, wow. or a thief, Oof. or any other kind of criminal, True. or even a meddler. Uh -oh. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Amen. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. Do you hear how we got straight back to yeah. the family issue? Yeah. When you're being insulted, when you're being reviled, persecuted, you are showing that you are a part of the family of God. You say, but wait a minute, it's my own mother or father who did this. Yes, you're both making your position clear. Amen. And now if you stand firm, they can get a chance at a revelation that repentance must occur for them to be in the family of God. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? Listen to the division again. The family of God is marked by obedience, which receives persecution from the world. Those that are not in the family of God are those that are not obedient to the gospel. That doesn't mean that they don't acknowledge it. That they don't say that it's true. They don't do it. Come on. Let me give you an encouragement, church. 
daily insults, not just occasional, daily insults, daily lies, are actually daily affirmations that you are identified by the name of Christ. When you wake up and you have some eggs and you put a little salt on it, <laughs> daily, daily, get a little insult on it, daily, <laughs> daily, just get that affirmation that you're in Christ. See, daily insults and daily lies because you are living like Christ are daily affirmations that you are in the family of God. Sitting in the darkness, this process feels like you should be ashamed. But in the light of eternity, it reveals that God's glory rests on you. Amen. That is cause for gladness. Amen. That Amen. is cause yeah. for rejoicing. Yes. That is cause for feelings of blessedness. Amen. Amen. Let's, let's look at Acts chapter 5 for another less obvious form of suffering that allows you to shine. Acts 5.20, say there when you're there. 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 Actually, say shine when you're there. There we go. Acts 5.20, go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. Come on, let, let us help you to understand this passage. See, let's go all the way and take it back to Moses for a minute. He could have chosen to stay in Egypt's palace, but he stood where God told him to, and he delivered the full message. David could have chosen to stay in Jesse's comfortable field, but he stood where God told him to, and he delivered the full message. Nehemiah could have chosen to stay as the king's cupbearer, but he stood where God told him to and delivered the full message. Church believers in every century have been told to stand in a situation and deliver the full message. They could have avoided suffering. And so can you. By staying right where you were. But instead... They went and stood where God told them to stand, which makes the suffering that results from it glorious. Amen. You know, they could have avoided suffering by just modifying the message. But they stood and delivered the full message. Church, we are acknowledging fully. You may have been able to get a better job, to have a better house. To live in a better situation. But if you stand where the Lord says to, it always results in adversity and suffering. At least until it's seen in the light of eternity. Amen? You may be able to have a better reception, a bigger audience, or a broader influence. But if you deliver the full message, it always results in adversity and suffering. At least, that is, until it's seen in the light of eternity. Amen. As we go through the next several examples in rapid-fire succession, I want you to think about the suffering that emanates from simply not doing something you could have. Come on, in Genesis chapter 31 and verse 41, I'm going to begin to read. It was like this for the 20 years I was in your household. I worked for you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flocks, and you changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father... The God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had not been with me. You would surely have sent me away empty handed. But God has seen my hardship. He's seen my suffering and the toil of my hands. And last night he rebuked you. 
See, Jacob suffered many things at the hand of Laban because Jacob chose to stand where God had placed him. In the darkness, this seems stupid. He should just change jobs. But in the light of eternity, Jacob is covered in glory. Anybody in here struggle with the job that God put you in? It's hard to wait. It's hard to to work it out. It's hard to do all of those things. It'll look different in the light of eternity. I want to go over one last one, then we're going to do something in the writings that's special. 1 Kings 19.10. Can we put it on the screen? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. See, Elijah suffered with feelings of futility because he stood and preached as God told him to. In the darkness, this seems stupid. It seems ludicrous. He should have moved on to a more successful situation, one where the people were more receptive, one where the disciples were better, somewhere with a beach in a view. But in the light of eternity... He sits in unparalleled glory as a standout man of God who simply would not yield. We want to move to Psalm 119 now. The writings teach us how to live faithfully in a historical context. We want to know how to live in the darkness of our day, but walk in the light of eternity. And Brother Nick's got something to share with you about it. Hallelujah. I hope that you are getting as stirred about this message about suffering as I am. You know, the truth of the matter is, is that the most successful situation that you can be in is being surrounded by suffering and still standing without being surmounted. Instead, shining like the stars. That's really what we're talking about here tonight. That's really what success, as defined by the Word of God, looks like. Look, the writer of Psalm 119, he had a truly eternal view of suffering. Do you want the view of suffering that our Father wants you to have tonight? Are you in Psalm 119 with me? Land in verse 67, and let's read together as we begin to approach a close tonight. Before I was afflicted, somebody say, before I suffered, before I suffered, I went astray, but now, now I obey your word. You see, in the darkness, when you have your eyes focused on the darkness, suffering just feels like punishment. In fact, it might even cause a fence to rise up in you. But when you have your eyes set on the light of eternity, suffering causes you to learn obedience. It's good for you. It's good for us. Drop down to verse 71 with me. It was good for me to be afflicted. Somebody say, it was good for me to suffer. It was good for me to suffer. So that I might learn your decrees. If you have your eyes set on the darkness, 
Suffering feels like there's no point to suffering at all. It feels meaningless to you. But living in the light of eternity, suffering teaches you how to carry the very glory of God. Suffering becomes your teacher and the word of God helps you through that suffering. Jump down four more verses with us to verse 75. I know, O Lord, that your laws are righteous. That sounds like a man that has deep convictions. And in faithfulness, you have afflicted me. Somebody say, you have caused me to suffer. You have caused me to suffer. In the darkness, your suffering feels like everyone is against you. Maybe even it feels like God himself is against you and unjust in your situation. But living in the light of eternity, church, it gives you the opportunity to search out the word and to establish deep convictions, deep convictions that you will never, ever move from for the rest of your life. Our last one comes from verse 107. I have suffered much. Somebody ready to see what this produces? Preserve my life, O Lord, according to your word. In the darkness, with your eyes focused on that dark place, suffering feels like you are dying a very slow death in the midst of it. It makes you want to get out of the suffering. It makes you want to run away from the suffering. But living in the light of eternity, it produces life in you now. And it also does something else. It ensures that you'll be seated with Christ in the eternal life that is to come. Come on, that is a good word, church. This, this hits us right where we are. Let's all turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10. Suffering. Suffering is a teacher for you. That's, that's not the teacher that you like. But that's the teacher that you need. That's the one that actually ingrains something down in your soul. It moves it from your mind down into deep convictions. It moves it from, from just what you're saying down into obedience. It is teaching you something through this. I want to Second Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10. It says this. That is why. That is why. For Christ's sake. I delight in weakness. Somebody say delight. delight. You know, this is starting off with weakness. Do you know what suffering causes in you? It lets you know that you're weak. See, we don't like to consider that. I don't like to consider the fact that I'm getting older and, and, and it's harder for me to do things than it used to be. See, I don't like to consider that I'm not strong and good in everything. But the Bible clearly declares that through suffering... This is why, for Christ's sake, I can delight in my weakness. I can delight in insults. I can delight in hardships. I can delight in persecutions. I can delight in difficulties. Come on now, church. Come on, let's let the Word of God begin to penetrate our hearts. How are you doing in delighting in those difficulties during your day? Delighting in where you are. I don't just mean somewhere far off. I know one day, Lord... At the resurrection. No, I'm not talking about just then. I'm talking about here and now. Somebody say here and now. Here and now. 
This is when we must delight in weakness. This is now when we must delight in insults and hardships and persecutions. See, this is the attitude that you've got to have. This is the attitude that you must have. This is the kind of character that you must display. Where do we, where do we start early in Philippians 2? Do everything without arguing and complaining. And we all went, See, if we're not pairing these two verses together in our hearts, then you're missing what your pastors, what Nick has been shooting at this whole evening. Yes, I'm going to delight in weakness. Okay, then are you complaining, arguing, grumbling? See, we are those who hold out the very word of life. See, when we're thinking about our suffering, it's not just the beatings. It's not just the imprisonments. It's not just the martyrdom. It is the lies, the insults, the persecution, and the suffering that we go through in a daily fashion. You know, while we were studying tonight, or this afternoon, we, were, we, we noticed something. Whether it was Paul, or Peter, or Jesus, the words that they used to instruct us about suffering, gladness. Somebody say gladness. Gladness. Rejoicing. Somebody say rejoicing. rejoicing. Feeling blessed. Somebody say, I feel, I feel blessed. See, that is the attitude. That is the heart condition that must spring forth from us. Listen to me. Not just in what you say. See, you're at a church that's going to try to, we're, we're trying to train according to what the Word of God says. So sometimes our confession is better than our character. Sometimes what we say to our neighbor is different than the, than, the, than the suffering and the lamenting and the offense that we've had in our heart. It's a very, very different thing what I can say. Oh, praise God, Pastor. Thank you for correcting me. It's like oil upon my head. And you immediately are refusing it on the inside while saying the right things. See, rejoicing and gladness and feelings of blessedness. I feel blessed. Why do you feel so blessed? Because my family thinks I'm crazy. I feel blessed. Why do you feel so blessed? Because they're insulting me and they're attributing my actual deeds that reflect Christ. They're attributing it to Satan himself. I feel gladness inside of me. I want to rejoice from the inside out. Why? Because I am delighting in the weakness. I'm delighting in the insults. See, the separation of suffering. This is how you're able to hold out. When you're suffering and from the inside, it springs forth within you and you say, Hallelujah! I am counted worthy to suffer just a little bit for His name. I know in the great context, this is light and momentary. So I'm going to treat it like it's light and momentary, even if I'm being crushed under it right now. See, I get to rejoice in that. And what does that do? That creates a distinction, a clarity, that the separation of suffering allows us to hold out the hope of life to someone. It allows us to be the help that we all say that we want to be to them. Pastor, I just want to see them. I just want to see them get saved, Nick. I just want to see them get saved. So I'm going to reach out to them. Stand where the Lord tells you to stand and stand nowhere else. No, but, but maybe if I'm, no, you're being moved by your emotions. Your emotions aren't right here. Stand where you're supposed to and rejoice in it and delight in it and, and be glad about it where you are. Not going towards them because that causes a lack of clarity. For both you and them. 
Philippians 1.28 says this, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them. Your separation caused by suffering is supposed to be a sign to them. Some of you youngins may not know this, but back in the day you used to have to read maps. You didn't have a little thing on your phone that was just, turn left now. You actually had to read the street names. I can't tell you how many times I I was trying to go somewhere and I couldn't find it because the sign was obscured. Something had covered the sign. Who knows, the sign wasn't even there. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed. But that you will be saved. There is a sign that must go on and it is caused by the separation of suffering. And that by God. Wow. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for Him. Lord, I don't want to just, just do this one day. I don't want to hear a story, a true story about standing on the ice and envision this somewhere in the future, Lord. I want to do this for you today. I want to engage with this right now and say, Lord, I can do this. Lord, I need you to change my attitude about it because I haven't been delighting in weaknesses. I've been hiding my weaknesses, trying to only present a Facebook look at my life. I haven't been delighting in my weaknesses. I haven't been delighting in the insults. I start thinking of the things I should have said to come back against them. I'm offended down on the inside that someone would have said something like that to me. See, We want to have the right attitude here because your attitude, how you deal with suffering, allows for them to have hope. It allows for them to have a chance to know where they stand and that God might grant to them what he's already granted to you. In 2 Corinthians 12, it ends this way. Verse 10, let me just start it again. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak. See, when I've been suffering in what looks like darkness to the rest of the world, when I've become weak, I have the opportunity to become strong in the light of eternity. Would you stand to your feet with me tonight? Come on, we're going to open up the altars. If you've been allowing suffering to look anything other than a delight to you, now is your time. Mighty God, Lord, we come to you right now. Lord, asking for you to help us to have the right attitude that allows suffering to be viewed as a delight, as a gladness, as a blessing, Lord. Move upon our hearts, Lord, not only for someday in the distant future, but for today, how we deal with our family how we deal with those who insult us, how we deal with the persecution and suffering of our own day, mighty God. Move upon us now, mighty one. Let it be our greatest joy to be counted worthy to suffer for your name, to be counted worthy to suffer because of righteous deeds, not our own flawed perspective. Mighty God, we give you great glory.